This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Larry Casus is not a household name when it comes to Native activism. But at the height of AIM Direct Action 50 years ago, he was an outspoken voice for Native issues in New Mexico. He championed a cause to rid his hometown of a liquor establishment connected to a high number of Navajo deaths. His activism culminated in a desperate act 50 years ago today that cost him his life. He has both detractors and supporters. Today we'll learn more about Larry Casus and what his activism meant and what he accomplished. That's coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A bill to set up a task force to study Indian child welfare in South Dakota has been approved by the State House Judiciary Committee. The bill provides for 17 representatives from tribes and state agencies to hold at least eight meetings before November 2024. Their mission is to look for best practices in strengthening Native families so that children can remain in their homes. Victoria Wicks has more. State Senator Red Dawn Foster told the House Committee that Native people make up 12% of South Dakota's population, but more than 60% of the children in custody of the State Department of Social Services. She said the task force will try to figure out what underlies that inequity and how to fix it. Looking at and identifying root causes and where we can put the time resources to address those so that the children don't end up in DSS. She said one key step is to address poverty wherever the child lives. If a child is removed, that the adoptive families are receiving the support that they need to care for the children. Foster noted that the U.S. Supreme Court has heard arguments on the constitutionality of the federal Indian Child Welfare Act, and if that federal law is weakened, South Dakota needs to join several other states in developing laws to fill the gap. Representative Rebecca Reimer questioned if poverty is the only factor in Native children's welfare. I would think there would be multiple conditions or reasons if you would say that they would be removed. Foster said tribes face housing shortages as well as drug and alcohol abuse and a high prison population, but much of it stems from poverty. So looking at all the contributing factors that come along with poverty, Natives are disproportionately affected by that. Reimer objected to the bill as having a goal larger than it would be able to meet, but ultimately she voted in favor of it. Senate Bill 191 now goes to the House floor, and if it passes there, to the governor's desk. For National Native News, I'm Victoria Wicks in Rapid City, South Dakota. Alaska leaders are in Washington, D.C. this week to lobby for the Willow Oil and Gas Development Project, including a number of Alaska Native organizations, this comes as the Biden administration is poised to make a record of decision on the $8 billion prospect that would be developed by ConocoPhillips in the National Petroleum Reserve, Alaska. Nogaro Karcharik is president of the Voice of the Arctic Anupiat, which represents about two dozen North Slope organizations. He says the Willow Project is key to the region's self-determination. So that we're forging that path. Right. And, and we're not having it forged for us because without without the development, without the economy, we're reliant on the, on the state and the federal government right, for what we can and cannot do. 
The Biden administration has sent out mixed messages about Willow, with the Bureau of Land Management signaling it would approve the project with limits on drilling, while the Interior Department has raised concerns about environmental and subsistence impacts. Environmental groups have said it would escalate climate change, while Nuixa, the North Slope community closest to Willow, has raised objections. There are worries the development would affect migrating caribou and cause health problems. The Interior and Justice Departments announced Tuesday field hearings will begin this spring to implement the Not Invisible Act to address missing and murdered Indigenous people. The Not Invisible Act Commission is developing recommendations. Members include tribal leaders, federal partners, service providers, family of missing and murdered individuals, and survivors. Public field hearings begin in April and will be held in Oklahoma and Alaska. They'll continue through July in Arizona, Minnesota, New Mexico, California, and Montana. A virtual hearing will also be held later this summer. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. Support by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, working to ensure tribal colleges and universities are included in our higher education system. Information on 37 tribal colleges and universities at AIHEC.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. A young University of New Mexico student named Larry Casus was driven to call attention to issues facing Native people in the early 1970s. His advocacy came to a head on this day 50 years ago when Casus was shot and killed by police in Gallup, New Mexico after he took the town's mayor hostage. It was a desperate and ill-fated attempt sparked by his frustration that officials ignored reports of the disproportionate number of deaths associated with a bar just outside of town. Casus was president of a Native American student group that was actively protesting and speaking up at official meetings prior to the attack on the mayor. Today we'll look into the life and activism of Larry Casus and discuss his legacy a half century later. Please add to our conversation when inspired. Have you heard about Larry Casus before? Do you have any insights into Native political action from the early 70s? Join the dialogue by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can also leave a post on our social media, our Twitter handle, 1-800-99-NATIVE. Speaking with us now from Albuquerque, New Mexico, is John Redhouse. He's a longtime Native American activist. He is Diné and Ute. John, welcome to Native America Calling. Thank you. And also joining us from Albuquerque is David Correa. He is a professor of American Studies at the University of New Mexico and the author of Enemy Such as This, Larry Casus and the Fight for Native Liberation in One Family on Two Continents Over Three Centuries. David, welcome to the show. 
Thank you. John, I'd like to begin with you. What's your connection to Larry Casus, and, and what do you remember most about him? Well, I worked with uh, Larry in, uh, in Gallup and Albuquerque from August of 1972 to late February of 1973. And uh, we worked uh, on the uh, issues of the day as it regards uh, Gallup, McKinley County, and the Navajo Reservation, in particular the, uh, the high incidence of alcoholism and the uh, over-issuance of liquor licenses allocated to the city of Gallup, which uh, we feel uh, enabled and contributed to that high incidence of alcoholism and the physical destruction uh, uh, that came with that. Now, there's a lot to this story, many layers, John, but, but the short version uh, is that Larry, along with an accomplice, kidnapped the mayor of Gallup at gunpoint. They barricaded inside a store after walking through the street with the mayor. He was shot and killed in a hail of gunfire from police. Uh, in a lot of places now, this would be considered an act of terrorism. How is Larry Casus remembered? Well, uh, as a person who directly worked with Larry during that seven months period, uh, it, uh, uh, those actions taken on March 1st, 1973, uh, was an act of desperation. There was a, a state of, uh, desperation among, uh, affected, uh, Navajo and Indian people, uh, in, in Northwestern New Mexico at that time. In fact, they had reached, uh, the, you know, the alcoholism reached, uh, epidemic, uh, levels and, uh, so there was a lot of fiscal uh, destruction involved. Uh, I say uh, epidemic because uh, it, it seemed genocidal because it was continuing and escalating. Uh, so the the crisis was uh, was was getting worse. It was going from bad to worse, uh, and uh, it was it was an act of desperation to uh, to stop the uh, uh, the 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 uh, the the you know the destructive process that was going on at that time it was a you know a destruction of a significant segment of population it would fit the uh, the definition of of genocide and uh, Mayor Garcia uh, was the uh, principal co-owner of the Navajo Inn uh, a bar and packaged liquor store located just off the reservation it was strategically located right where it's at so so that it would maximize uh, profits for uh, the corporation. Uh, there were two other co-owners. It was called the ABA Corporation, and they were promoting, in effect, they were promoting and profiting off Navajo alcoholism. Also, the Navajo Inn was the uh, the largest uh, liquor outlet and a liquor establishment in the state of New Mexico. So it was a very lucrative business. They were literally making a killing, not only physically but financially. Uh, what what Larry did was uh, uh, was not as you know it was it was a, a last resort kind of action. We had tried peaceful legal means uh, to get the uh, the attention of, of Garcia to this uh, crisis ongoing, but he would not listen. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and this uh, you know Larry Larry was uh, was very intensely involved in the issue, was emotionally involved in that issue, as was Robert Nikaidene, a number of Robert's uh, relatives. Uh, 
and family members were 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 killed uh by the uh the location of the of the navajo inn there were uh, uh uh pedestrian accidents uh there was uh uh it was unattended death uh you know it was uh it was basically uh a, a, a disaster area uh there and, okay. and that was largely due to the location of the Navajo Inn, the proximity to the Highway 264, and you know there was a lot of traffic accidents and so forth. So there was a crisis at many many aspects and many at okay. many levels going on. And John, what I, what I also want to add is that apparently this really came to a head um, because this mayor of Gallup, Emmett Garcia, uh, the governor of the state of New Mexico at the time, Bruce King, uh, appointed him to the University of New Mexico Board of Regents. Can you talk about that? Yeah, uh, yeah. Emmett Garcia, uh, well, wasn't even a college graduate. Uh, he had no uh, particular expertise in education. There were a number of uh, uh, qualified Native American uh, persons from McKinley County that could have easily fitted that uh, uh, that position. Uh, he was only uh, nominated. Uh, by Governor King because uh, it was a uh, it was a key figure in the Democratic stronghold uh, that was existing at that time in McKinley County and uh, uh, Governor Bruce King had uh, high political uh, aspirations for his nephew David King and uh, it was it was largely a politically motivated decision uh, not because uh, Emmett Garcia uh, cared about the people of color. Uh, in uh, Gallup McKinley County, uh, you know, he, he, he was he was strictly for uh, primarily for uh, political reasons that he was selected. And initially, you know, th- this like you mentioned, going to Gallup, kidnapping Mayor Garcia. This was a last resort because initially, Larry and other students, as I understand it, they they, they went to Board of Regents meetings. They tried to take the the, the more traditional channels uh, of redress there at the university and, and were they unsuccessful in that attempt to, to get the university to change their position or or uh, have the governor pull that uh, appointment of, of Mayor Garcia to the Board of Regents? Well, the concerns that we, we had expressed, it was not, not only Larry and Robert Nakaida name, but there was also Indians Against Exploitation and uh, the UNM Kiva Club uh, and the broad-based coalition uh, of students and faculty at the University of New Mexico. In fact, the ASUNM Senate uh, passed a resolution uh, opposing the, uh, uh, the nomination. They felt that Garcia was unfit uh, for the Regency position for the reasons that I just stated. Uh, was, uh, the New Mexico Lobo, uh, the August uh, uh, New Mexico Lobo, the Daily Lobo uh, also uh, wrote a strong editorial denouncing uh, Governor King's uh, nomination of the mayor. Uh, and so, you know, it, it was a very controversial uh, appointment, uh, nomination and appointment. Uh, we did everything we could peacefully and legally with the Senate Rules Committee and the, uh, the Senate uh, to, 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 to get uh, uh, the political process to at least uh, be delayed so that there could be full consideration uh, regarding the fitness or unfitness of Mayor Garcia to that regency position. 
And John, what do you remember about this day 50 years ago when everything came to a head and and the gunfire ensued and 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 Larry lost his life? It did not have to happen. It did not have to happen. If Emmett Garcia had opened up his heart to uh to what uh, what Larry was saying. We were in the movement because we could we were concerned about our people. We loved our people. And uh it uh, it disturbed us uh uh to to uh, to the to the extreme that our people were were dying unnecessarily in in great numbers in mass numbers over the years because that that Navajo Inn had been there since the early 1960s that was an inheritance from uh from from uh the fa- from from uh Emmett Garcia's father Ernie who established it there uh, and you know it had been going on a, a long time, and uh, it was just it was just getting worse. The carnage. Uh, so it, uh, you know the the, the 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 concerns had been long expressed. Uh, the uh, the St. Michael's chapter nearby Navajo chapter had passed a resolution uh, strongly condemning it. There was a lawsuit, a public and private nuisance lawsuit by uh, area residents uh, against the uh, Navajo Inn. There was a petition. Uh, ongoing uh, by a great number of uh, uh, residents and citizens of the St. Michael's chapter. So it wasn't just uh, just uh, Larry Casus and Robert Nkaidene or IAE or UNM Kiva Club. There was uh, uh, community grassroots opposition to the uh, to Navajo Inn and the way it was uh, was operating. We're going to have to take a short break. We're talking with John Redhouse. He's a longtime Native American activist, and he's reflecting now. Uh, today on the 50th anniversary of uh, the death of Larry Casus, And uh, please join the conversation. Uh, what do you think? Was Larry Casus a hero and a martyr who stood up to the oppression of Native people? Or was he perhaps an overly zealous young man who caught up in something way over his head? Call us at 1-800-99-NATIVE to share your thoughts. A major oil drilling proposal in Alaska has support from a key Alaska Native corporation as it nears an important federal government decision. At the same time, it's opposed by many residents and environmental groups. We'll explore who's for and against the Willow Oil Project. That's on the next Native America Calling. If you are age 45 years or older, it may be time to talk with a healthcare professional about colorectal colon cancer screening. Medicare, Medicaid, and the Marketplace have you covered. For more information, visit healthcare.gov or call 800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Ajaja. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're discussing slain activist Larry Casus and the issues he raised as part of Native activism 50 years ago. If you want to get in on our conversation with a comment or question, you can call us at 1-800-996-2848. That number again, 1-800-996-2848. I'd like to go to our second guest now, David Correa, professor of American Indian Studies at UNM, and he also wrote a book about Larry Casus. David, please tell us more about these events that transpired in New Mexico 50 years ago. 
Thanks for having me, Sean. Um, yeah, the, the, I think that um, if any of your listeners uh, know of Larry, they probably know the events of that day. Um, and uh, but it, 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 the, the events of that day don't make a lot of sense unless you know the longer struggle that John was just talking about. Larry was involved at a very young age, confronting the the patterns of exploitation in Gallup. He was he's not from Gallup, and he, he didn't grow up on the reservation. He grew up in Silver City in southern New Mexico. His dad was a copper miner, drawn down to Silver City in the in the 50s when uh, Spanish-speaking miners and uh, Anglo miners were, were off at war, and they recruited uh, over a 1,000 Navajo laborers to toil in the copper mines, and, and Larry's dad was one of them. And so Larry didn't grow up on the reservation. He was robbed of that connection to his people. And when he, when he moved to Gallup with his family at the beginning of high school, um, you know, he found a Gallup that horrified him. And, and he used to take pictures of, of the treatment of his people on the street by police, um, pictures of dead bodies just left outside of bars and liquor stores. And he quickly realized that the Navajo Inn, the bar owned by Emma Garcia, was the worst of them. Um, you know, almost weekly, the Navajo Nation would send letters to the governor and the liquor board um, with detailed descriptions of, of, of people found um, dead and unattended, unattended deaths, you know, killed by vigilantes, or, or frozen to death trying to walk home, or hit by cars as they tried to make it back home from the bar. Um, you know, and, and Garcia wasn't just the co-owner of the bar, wasn't just the mayor. He also named himself the director of the Alcohol Treatment Center and controlled enormous sums of money that he redirected away from treatment for people that needed help. And th this hypocrisy um, was not something that, that, you know, was a secret. Everyone it was out in the open. You know, Gallup, the entire economy runs on uh, alcohol and still does today. I mean, at the time in the 70s, revenues from alcohol uh, exceeded all other forms of revenue combined, real estate, uh, you know, you name it, alcohol is what drove that, that economy. And everyone knew it was, a, it was an economy of misery and death. And, um, you know, so the being nominated to regents was really the last straw for Larry, by that time, he was the president of the Kiva Club. He was a sophomore at UNM, a 19-year-old young man. John's right. It was a desperate, desperate act. But he had tried everything. He'd gone to city council meetings. He had made personal appeals to the mayor. He had talked to the liquor board. He went to Santa Fe to talk to legislators. He, was, he talked to administrators at UNM. You know, this, this, this is... Um, John uses the word genocide, and there's really no other word to describe what was going on in Gallup then. Okay, okay. So, David, I, I, yeah, and I appreciate all this background, but at, at what point, though, in, in Larry's mind, did, did he have to make this drastic pivot from taking these traditional lines of communication and redress to, to kidnapping and, and holding night, somebody hostage? Yeah, the night before. The night before, Larry, the, the day before, uh, so February 28th, Larry and Robert went to a conference with Native leaders, and they were really disappointed to find that there was no interest in confronting what was happening to their people in, in Gallup. They were, they, were, they were inspired by Wounded Knee, which had just started. And, um, and so he, they decided that they're going to kidnap the mayor and hold him hostage until the authorities agreed to close down the bar. That was it. And they, 
they went to the campus of the University of New Mexico and they and they hijacked a car at gunpoint. Another UNM student they didn't even know. His name is Delbert Rudy. I spoke to Delbert Rudy. Delbert Rudy was just uh, you know on his way home from a morning of class and they they pulled a gun on him and forced him to drive them there. Delbert Rudy, when I talked to him, told me like, I'm a Republican. I don't care about the civil rights stuff. But at the end of that two-hour drive, he was convinced that this desperate act was the only rational thing to do. It, it was a really remarkable admission to me when he, when he said that. I mean, he, and Larry wasn't trying to convince him. He was just answering Delbert's questions because Delbert was frightened and terrified in the back seat. And by the end of that two-hour drive from Albuquerque to Gallup, Delbert understood precisely that this was the only option to make. And it's, it's why Larry is a hero or sometimes called a martyr to so many people because there, was, there were people dying every day. Larry could not stand that, would not allow that anymore, and he gave his life for people that he wanted to protect and save. And that is a, a courageous thing. He, he, he never had any intention of hurting anybody, never fired his gun. Um, he, the, the idea, the desperate act was to just do something to force people who otherwise wouldn't act to stop the killing. Okay. All right, Dave, we're going to take a caller now. We have Anna listening on station KGLB. Anna is near Gallup, New Mexico. Hello, Anna. Yes, hey, thank you for uh, this opportunity to commemorate a beautiful spirit, a warrior, Nabahi. I believe uh, he is a martyr, and I just wanted to express my appreciation uh, to John Redhouse, a dear brother of mine, who I met 40 years ago at UNM Gallup when we were we organized the Larry Casus Memorial 1983, and since then, you know, there's been so much activism, but we always remember Larry, Larry Casus. Mary Crowdog told me that if when Wounded Knee heard about Larry Casus' murder, it gave them more fire to keep fighting. They got stronger, and she always wanted her family, his family, to know. So I did share that with his sister, Ursula. But the spiritual reality of this is when someone lays their life down, is a spiritual movement. And what was going on at Wounded Knee was a spiritual movement. It is a spiritual movement. And to put the bigger context is the colonization that has happened here, the root cause of why they're still killing us today. But we celebrate. There's more young people, more young indigenous people in the Western Hemisphere, and from the heart of the Southwest, it's a sacred area of beautiful energy, and that's why we're still here. That's why we need to celebrate and even have a statue of Larry, make a Gallup Peace Park with a statue. All right, it's Anna. It's our life. Appreciate you calling in today. Uh, a lot of passion, a lot of conviction on behalf of Larry Casus and his legacy. And uh, John, I, I'd like to to respond um, because uh, Anna mentions you uh, in her call, and 
I want to ask you, I mean, what, what types of memorials or what kind of uh, landmarks are there or any tributes at all to the legacy of Larry Casus in, in Gallup or anywhere else in, in these areas that we're talking about today? Well, during the uh, occupation of uh, Wounded Knee in 1973, uh, when word was reached of uh, Larry's uh, sacrifice, uh, Wounded Knee uh, leaders, uh, Russell Means, Dennis Banks, Clyde Ballacourt, and Carter Kemp, uh, issued a statement uh, in remembrance and in honor of, uh, of Larry's action and to the, uh, the people's struggle uh, continuing in Gallup and uh, McKinley County and throughout uh, uh, indigenous territory. Uh, he, they recognize the historical significance of, of that event and the processes of uh, struggle and resistance uh, uh, that must continue uh, in the spirit of, uh, of the fallen warrior and, and the best way we can uh, pay homage and, uh, and remember and honor uh, people like Larry is to continue his work. And so that set off a, uh, a process, a movement uh, that is, is continuing and it's, uh, uh, much of it is uh, symbolized in the Larry Casus memorials that, uh, that we have had from 1974 to 2009. Right. After we lost uh, Robert DeKaitene in uh, 2010, uh, the UNM Kiva Club held a, a UNM uh, Kiva Club alumni intergenerational talking circle in which uh, uh, the generations uh, 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 would meet and discuss and uh, talk about the uh, uh, the need to advance the work intergenerationally uh, because it has been uh, uh, at that time uh, 35, 40 years and it's uh, it's still continuing that memorial series. Okay, and John, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's really helpful, and we definitely want to learn more, you know, about some of these uh, initiatives in, in, in the aftermath. But I do want to go back to David now, and David, if you could pick up uh, and resume uh, the events where you left off, that uh, Larry and Robert, they, they kidnap the mayor, they lead him on this forced tour of, of Gallup, New Mexico, to... Uh, to show him just the, the devastating effects of the liquor industry in that community. And then uh, tell us more. I mean, they, they take refuge in this sporting goods store, and then what transpires next? Yeah, the plan had been, as Larry told Delbert on the way there, to kidnap the mayor, bring him back to the car, and, and head off into the mountains and hold him until the bar would, would move. And um, they got to Gallup, and it was it was after 4.30, and there was so much traffic, they didn't think they could get away with the mayor, so they brought him down to Stern's Sporting Goods Store. The owner of the store just left. He, he, he watched it all happen. He, he walked away to take a break, and um, they, they grabbed the mayor out of his office and dragged him down to the Sporting Goods Store, and Robert um, kicked in the door, and they barricaded themselves in there because the police were, were already after them. The police chief of Gallup, Manuel Gonzalez, had had actually been in the mayor's office, and Robert had disarmed him, in fact. And, uh, and then they, they barricaded themselves because the police surrounded them, and eyewitness accounts describe um, a squad of, of police standing ready with rifles. And um, at some point, the mayor uh, pulled away from Robert inside 
the sporting goods store and leapt through the plate glass window and landed on the sidewalk, at which point the police chief uh, opened fire. And, and they spent, by some eyewitness accounts, over a minute just firing tear gas and bullets into the store. Robert described Larry being hit twice uh, during that barrage. They did not fire back. Uh, Robert had a gun and Larry had a pistol, but Robert took those from him um, and threw them away because he ran out into the street, into gunfire, um, to try to stop the, the firing, hoping to save Larry's life. Okay. He knew that Larry had been hit twice. David, now. just really quickly, I, I have heard reports that, that the mayor was wounded, though. Is that correct? Yeah, the mayor was wounded. Um, Robert, uh, he claims that Robert shot him. Robert had a shotgun in his hand. Robert, um, in the, I mean, I don't, you know, this was chaos. The, you know, there was, it was a stressful moment. And Robert doesn't remember whether he turned and fired. Uh, the mayor was, was, had minor wounds. Uh, most of them were from jumping through plate glass. And also uh, the police opened fire almost immediately as he came flying through the window. So there's never been any determination about who, who shot him, how he was okay. shot. Either way, they weren't life-threatening. They were minor, minor, uh, terrifying moments for the for I mean, there's no doubt, but but Robert and and Larry had no intention of hurting anybody that day. That wasn't the point. They're trying to scare him and get that bar moved. Um, okay, so uh, and then Larry loses his life, uh, and Robert remarkably is unscathed. And then um, what happens next? I mean, what is what is the reaction there? In the, specifically, like with regard to to the police and and the government there and Gallup and um, you know, I know there were pictures published of, of Larry's corpse. Uh, what was that all about? Well, it, when, when, when Robert left, Larry was alive. Um, there was no sh- r- shotgun or rifle in the store. Robert had thrown them out. Um, the police say that Robert killed himself. It was a, a gunshot underneath his chin. The only, but you mean Larry, uh, you mean Larry, not Larry, Robert. Excuse me, excuse me. Yeah, Larry. Okay. Um, the only rifle or shotgun brought in the store at the time was held by a police officer. So, uh, and the owner of the store said there were no shells for the shotguns that the coroner said was used for the fatal shot to Larry. Only the police held those. So it's clear the police killed Larry or he was, he was killed before they walked in. Um, either way, what they did next was, um, was they, they pulled, they dragged Larry's body out, left it on the sidewalk, and then a Gallup Independent photographer took pictures of the police posing over his body. Um, in fact, one of those photos was framed and hung above the Fraternal Order of Police bar in Gallup for many years until Larry's sister Ursula forced them to take it down. It took her a decade to force them to take this photo of, his, of her brother laying on the sidewalk with smiling police standing over him. Um, the, one of the first people to see Larry's body on the sidewalk was his sister Najoni, who was in town and ran down to see them. The police hauled her away. Larry's mom was at the welfare office across the street when this happened. Didn't even know Larry had come back from Albuquerque. They held her and wouldn't let her go when she heard the news. Someone had run into the welfare office and said that Larry Casus finally got it. And then everyone refused to let her leave. Okay. Um, now I do want to, and I want to ask you, so after this all transpired and uh, Larry is now dead and the mayor, apparently you know, he was, relatively safe after that he was unharmed or not a, wounded but not not dramatically wounded so was the was the was the, the navajo inn was it ever closed uh was he ever forced to step down from the board of regents Do, were any of these efforts uh, to any avail 
Well, he never became a regent. He lost the next election, uh, which was held shortly after that for mayor. And the Navajo Inn, uh, and then he divested himself of the Navajo Inn and it briefly closed and it reopened, but now it's closed. So it did end up closing. Um, you know, what hasn't changed, of course, is the, the saturation of alcohol in Gallup. That, that continued, but, but the specific efforts to shut down that bar were successful. And the specific efforts to, to, to block Emmett Garcia from serving as a regent were, were successful. Well, folks, we are learning more. Uh, about this tragic event uh, that occurred 50 years ago today when Larry Casus and an accomplice kidnapped the mayor of Gallup, New Mexico, uh, in protest to a number of issues with regard to alcohol sales and also uh, the mayor's appointment to the New Mexico University of New Mexico Board of Regents. Anyone else who remembers that day, give us a call. We would sure like to hear from you today on Native America Calling. We've got a couple more guests after the break that we're going to talk to. We're going to learn more about uh, events today and also reflect on this event 50 years ago. So give us a call, 1-800-996-2848, if you would like to add to today's conversation. Support by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, working to ensure tribal colleges and universities are included in our higher education system. Information on 37 tribal colleges and universities at AIHEC.org. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribalrelations. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Still plenty of time to add insights to our conversation about Larry Casus and the issues he addressed as a student leader in the early 1970s. He died on this date 50 years ago. If you were living on or near the Navajo Nation on that day, what do you remember? Call us at 1-800-996-2848, 1-800-996-2848. I'd like to introduce another guest on our show today. Joining us from Albuquerque, New Mexico, is Dr. Jennifer Dale, a historian and professor and chair of American Studies at the University of New Mexico. She is Dene. Jennifer, welcome back to Native America Calling. Oh, yeah, Dene. Yate to you as well. Jennifer, I understand there are some events today uh, in commemoration of Larry Casus and, and these events. Uh, can you tell us more about them? Yes, um, this is part of American Studies, um, Joel Jones lecture series, and um, we have a, a remembrance of Larry Casus going on right now. Um, we have the Kiva Club um, who are talking about the legacy of um, Larry Casus right now. Last night we had a book discussion with uh, professors David Correa and Melanie Yazzie. And then um, this afternoon for the noon hour, we will have a conversation with John Redhouse and Melanie Yazzie. And this is happening at the Hibbins Center um, at the University of New Mexico. Tomorrow um, we will be going to UNM Gallup campus for a book discussion panel um, at uh, UNM Gallup at 5 o'clock. PM, uh, John Red House, David Korea, Melanie Yazi, and Alicia Gallegos of the Kiva Club will be there on the panel in, in Gallup. And Jennifer, in your talks uh, with, with young students there at the University of New Mexico now, this, you know, 50 years ago, this is probably kind of ancient history for some of these young Native folks, but what, what do they say? What are they thinking? What are their thoughts about when they learn about this story in Larry Casus? 
last night when we were they were having a book discussion with David and and um, Melanie, um, it was really a wonderful moment. And of course, these moments of remembering our relative Larry is also filled with grief and filled with emotion. And so this is a time for us to remember our relationships to each other and to remember um, Larry's sacrifice. I was in 1973, I was 14 or 15 years old. I'm from Tohatchie, which um, the closest border town is Gallup. And so um, my generation, I, I talked to a lot of my relatives and a lot of my people um, who there, who were there and who remember who were part of the protests, who were part of the um, marches. And so as a historian, um, you're not taught these things in your education. And so I've really had to be soft, self-taught um, to find out things um, like uh, Larry's sacrifice. And uh, how widely uh, available is this information? I mean, is it, it I mean, obviously there are events going on because of the 50 year, but are, are there classes or anything there on campus um, to make folks aware of this history? You know, we, we have um, a really uh, growing Native American studies and we have American studies, which is interdisciplinary. And so, um, this is part of our courses. This is part of the work that um, we do as scholars. Um, and it's actually through my scholarship that I met um, John Redhouse and I learned about um, just an incredible amount of work that he did as a community, a community organizer um, in uh, Farmington, New Mexico in 1974. I read John's work, which is in the archives here at the University of New Mexico. And so our students have access to this information. Um, they're here in the presence of our elder John Redhouse, and it's just been really wonderful. Um, it's it's a wonderful day, and Red Millicody honored us with her beautiful songs to honor um, our relative Larry Casus. All righty. Well, Jennifer, we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to to fill us in there on these events uh, at University of New Mexico. There in Albuquerque, and then also tomorrow in Gallup and. Uh, uh, lots of uh, warm words for our guest on the show, John Redhouse, as well. And we certainly appreciate John's time on our show today, as well as our other guest, uh, David Correa. And I, I want to introduce a fourth guest now. Joining us is Marley Shabala. She is an investigative journalist. She is Danae and Zuni. Marley, you've been on the show before. Welcome back. Oh, yate, yate. Marley Shabala, yin shia, tohe glini and shlon, anist eja, jatinet bashishin. And um, I was taught to introduce myself that way and also to all my relatives, friends, humans that are out there. And also to um, say, um, you to a Shabro John Redhouse. <laughs> all righty. Well, John, really quickly, you want to respond to Marley before I ask her a few questions? Uh, you know, Marley uh, was there uh, during that time. She was a member of the UNM Kiva Club and... Uh, you did. Okay. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll let Marley talk about those times. <laughs> okay. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, Marley, you knew Larry through your participation in the Kiva Club. And what was he like as a student leader advocating for Native issues? He was like any other student, Indigenous um, student there. Um, he was involved in school and um, also in, involved in just social events that we had there. I mean, we'd have drumming. We, um, it, it was the students that actually got the Native American Studies um, on campus. 
Um, it was a Kiva club that pushed for that building for the Native American Studies. And we had our own building, and so we had, we um, we were working out of there, just not um, students, but also having communities come in and speak to us. And Larry was a part of that. He was um, a young man who was very involved, very earnest. Um, he was quiet, um, and I think it it perhaps was because he was so intense, you know. Um, but he was he was he was fun to be around, you know. He he was interesting. He was, um, but he he was he was uh, very philosophical, um, and he, he did a lot of um, what we call now meditation, but is is thinking, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that that's where a lot of the um, that spirit of activism came from at at Kiva Club was was from leadership like him, young leadership, and young leadership that also turned to um, the surrounding elders to come in and um, also help us out, you know, make sure we were in in the right direction. And with Larry, um, he really helped us to reach out, to, to stand up and to understand how to stand up, you know, that... Um, there was no question. We had to question leadership. We had to question the hierarchy. It was time for our voices to be heard. And Larry was the one that led us. He was the Kiva Club president. And he came from Gallup. And John knows this, you know. Um, he was there, you know, on the scene. There were very few of us left. And um, we're not writing books because we don't have the time. Um, we are so involved still in our communities. Mm-hmm. I I came back to the reservation and I didn't leave for 30 years. Um, Larry was here. Um, John was here. We had a um, Gallup Indian Center, and that was shut down in the aftermath of what happened with Larry. And when you talk about um, building any kind of memorial to Larry, he wasn't about himself. That was one thing he wasn't about. Um, can you call somebody a quiet leader? <laughs> I think so, you know, um, well, Marley, because um, the ones that are very loud are the politicians. You want to know about Larry. That, that's who he was, you know, instead okay. of going into the grisly details of, you know, what happened to him. It, it, this is I, where, where when you want to remember Larry, remember his dream. And that dream was to get the border towns to understand that they are still on indigenous land that they have no right to be not to be denying us a bathroom. I mean, Gallup and all the border towns, Flagstaff, Farmington, Page, um, Albuquerque is a border town. You know, they have these ways of making you unwelcome in your own land. And that's what, that is what Larry felt. And he looked around and he saw it. And we saw it as young people. And when you're talking about the last straw, it wasn't just the um, Gallup, I mean, just the Navajo Inn, which was actually making the most money in the state of New Mexico, not just Gallup. It was in the state of New Mexico. And I know about the Navajo Inn. My mom was a nurse over there. And the atrocities that happened there are just unspeakable. And, Marley, and yet this guy was allowed to be over there. I was there when we protested and took okay, over okay. the... Marley, um, I want to just 
ask a question here because it, it, it just, it, it's interesting. And, you know, Larry condemned the sale of alcohol natives near the Navajo reservation so vehemently as you described that he was willing to die for his conviction. And I'm just curious to know on, on a personal level, because you knew him, he was a friend and you spent time with him. Did he drink alcohol himself or did he abstain? Hmm. We, we had 49s. Okay. And, um, when you ask that question, you have to understand that with Gallup at that time, in 1973, Gallup had 39 bars and liquor stores, 32 over the limit of a 1956 law limiting liquor establishments to one alcohol license per every 2,000 people, okay? And there were like about 80,000 of us on the Navajo Reservation in 1960. So when you are talking about what Larry did, and why he did it. You have to understand what was going on in Gallup. You have to understand how we were being treated. How um, during the intertribal ceremonial, this tribute to um, American Indian people, they would go around in paddy wagons, those police paddy wagons, and they would pick up people who were inebriated but they would not take them immediately over to the jail. They would wait until they had it packed with men and women of all ages, getting sick in there during the summer. And as young people, Larry helped us organize. John helped us organize. Peterson Zaw helped us organize against the intertribal ceremonial and and in getting recognition by the Gallup police that, hey, we are concerned about how our relatives are being treated. And we were able to ride along and make sure that our relatives weren't being mistreated. When, when I was in the fifth grade, I was going to boarding school at Rehoboth. And I remember catching the bus, and they called it the Gray Goose. And it would go, you know, from, from Winter Rock um, out towards Church Rock and then back, you know, that was kind of a little route there. And I remember going down to where the, old, where the, um, where the bus station is now. And I had to walk past, through this through these two blocks, and they talk about a bar on every block. There were like two bars, must have been like four bars on every block. And people were drunk out of their brains, you know? Mm. Um, and these were our people. And and there was, there, was not, there was no alcohol limit, you know, or if you're inebriated, you can't be sold anymore. Alcohol. Gallup was notorious. It was an ugly place. And this is, and this is what we were trying to bring out and tell people about. Okay. And nobody would so Marley, listen to us. If we could, if we could click ahead now, reflecting on the life of of Larry Casus, who who was your friend, and here we are today, exactly fifty years after his death, because uh, we are going to have to wrap up the show here in just another couple of minutes. What do you want any young Native activist listening to understand about Larry Casus and all these events we're talking about today? They need to understand that Larry was all about our history. Larry wanted our history out there for our young people, and it wasn't there. And so this history that we're all talking about, it, it's, you know, is, is the Gallup Independent putting that in their newspaper? No. Is the Albuquerque Journal putting it in their newspaper? No. Um, where else? Um, all, all the border towns. You know, this is a border town story. And so for our young people who are out there in the border towns um, who have lived this life and understand it and 
yes, there has been some improvements, but there is still that racism there. There is still a need for um, Indian centers in all of those border towns for our voices. We have every right to have a voice, especially our young people, because in Gallup, they recently did a investigative piece on how most of the students that are being kicked out of the Gallup schools are Native students. They're Diné. Mm -hmm. And so All right. what we're talking about is that dream that, that Larry had of equality and justice. Okay. And I'd like to uh, give John Redhouse the last word. John, we have about a minute before we have to wrap up. But um, what do you want uh, our, our young Native activists to understand, reflecting back now 50 years? Well, I think that you know, need to recognize that, uh, that Larry, uh, brave Navajo warrior and leader, uh, made the ultimate sacrifice uh, for his people, and that we must have an undying love for our people. They are blood of our same blood, flesh of the same flesh, and that, uh, that, uh, that the situation demands that we uh, commit and dedicate our lives to the, uh, to the improvement of the, uh, the present and, and, and future state of uh, of indian people and it's going to take that kind of uh commitment and uh, and sacrifice to uh to realize a, a better life for our, our, our people so that the changes are, are are made that we can we can see and feel and that are lasting and i think that that would uh that that would that would fulfill much of larry's uh, dream and vision and that that's what we should uh, strive and aspire for in the course of our work well, folks, uh, we are out of time now. Uh, the hour just flew by, and uh, really a, a wonderful discussion. Really appreciate all of our guests today and the perspectives and the memories that were shared as well. Uh, priceless, priceless to hear, hear the thoughts of so many people, uh, as well as the caller that we took as well. So once again, I'd like to thank our guests, John Redhouse, Marley Shabala, David Correa, and Jennifer Dennett-Dill for sharing their memories and insights on the legacy of Larry Casus. Join us here on Native America Calling again tomorrow as we take a look at a new large-scale oil drilling proposal on the Arctic Slope of Alaska. I'm Sean Spruce. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian country are Ameren's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Ameren.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. This program is supported by AmeriCorps VISTA. You can kickstart your career by joining thousands of AmeriCorps members in the VISTA program serving to alleviate poverty. AmeriCorps members help organizations make change right in their own community. A service opportunity that fits your ambition can be found at AmeriCorps.gov VISTA today. That's A-M-E-R-I-C-O-R-P-S dot G-O-V slash V-I-S-T-A. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, 
with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.